All right, welcome to the very first episode of Dorm Life. We are excited to have you on board. Our philosophy here is simple. Build a better tomorrow while you have fun today. Who says building a better tomorrow has to be boring and dull? We don't believe that. You can still quack one open with the boys on a Saturday while learning about financial literacy or any other practical matter which will help you in the future. We get it. You're, you're in your early 20s. You're finally away from your parents. And there's hot shakes and guys around. We don't discriminate here. But this big party ends in four years. At the end of it, you can go back to your mom's basement or retain your fun side while being a productive member of society. Each week, we'll bring on a special guest who will share his or her insight into how college kids can build a rewarding tomorrow. And we'll have fun along the way. Shiroz with the excellent introduction. Do I have like the Darth Vader thing like you were saying? Because I really love when I sound like yeah. that. Um, I'm Anthony. This is our first iteration of the Dorm Life podcast with our lovely guest, Dr. Professor Wright. He doesn't save lives literally, but can save lives in the mind, technically. Uh, Dr. Wright, Professor Wright, I'm going to keep saying that over and over, and I'm going to keep correcting myself, is a sociologist at UConn. Uh, he is an instructor of many classes, including a purpose, meaning of life research group that Shiroz and I were a part of. Shiroz formerly a part of. He has bigger and better things to do because we're all chumps. But yeah, Dr. Wright, Professor Wright, I'm going to keep doing it. Could you just kind of give an introduction of your background or anything you feel like that's necessary to kind of begin our discussion on just how you ended up at UConn and the courses you're involved with? Sure. Uh, first of all, it's a joy to be on here. And it is so cool that you're doing this. The, I love the YOLO factor of this. Like, yeah, we're just going to do it. Uh, so well done. I'm, I'm really pleased. So I'm a, a sociologist. I have been at UConn for 21 years. I grew up in California. I went to grad school in Wisconsin. As an academic, you get to choose what you do. You just don't get to choose where you do it. And so here I'm in Connecticut and uh, I've learned to like it. Um, currently I study well-being and purpose and it's kind of my thing. And about five, six years ago, I stumbled on the idea of having undergraduate research groups. So I sent out announcements to the top undergraduates in the uh, College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and invite them to work with me. And I always get a lot more applicants than I have positions to fill. And that's how I met you, Anthony and Shiroz. And it has been a joy, an absolute joy working with you both this last year and a half. No, so yeah. Let's, let's make, let's. You go, Shiroz. Okay, so let's, let's get a little serious here now. We like to have fun on this podcast, but I think there's always a time and place to be serious. Now, you have spent many years in the academia. You've met students of various sorts and kinds. Now, what do you think a successful college career is? Is it the kid that gets a 4.0, has an internship, job, everything lined up, or is it the kid who discovers himself, or is it in between? What do you think in your experience, Dr. Wright? That is a great question. And that's gonna be a question I think about for the rest of the week. Um, so I'll give you my, uh, let's see, my oldest son would say a hot take on it. So I guess that's a acceptable sign. I hope that's not like offensive uh, and that my no, son no, is no. punking me by teaching me to say offensive things. I would say, okay, this is gonna sound trivial and it might be. This is one of those things where it's like a cone where it might be meaningless, but maybe there's some depth. A successful college career is one that you think is successful when you're done with it. So, and so there's a self, uh, a self perception to it of if you did the things you wanted to do, 
then maybe it's successful. In general, I like the idea of students preparing, getting better at things so in the future they have opportunities. I like the idea of students having fun. I like the idea of students learning more about which way they want to go. All right. So you talk about cultivating, cultivating the sense of identity, who you are, what you want to go, what you want to be, where you want to go. But many kids right now, especially, especially kids in 2020, they have abundancy of opportunities. They could go anywhere they want. You know, they're at the University of Connecticut, a very good institution. Many doors are open for them. How do you tell these kids or what practical advice would you give to the kid that's, you know, a sophomore right now, all the doors are open for him or her, but they just don't know where to start, where to go. How do you cultivate this identity inside of them? That's a great, another great question. Uh, so I, I get the lots of options, few decisions situation that you're talking about. Uh, when I was in college, I was pre-med and I wanted to go be a medical missionary then I, after I graduated, I thought, no, I don't want to do that. Maybe I want to become a lawyer. I ended up with a list of five things I wanted to do. And it, and it took me like by my mid-20s to figure this out. First was to be a pilot for the Navy. Second was to be a sociologist. Third was to be a historian. No, no. Third was a filmmaker. Fourth was a business person. And then I think fifth was a historian. And uh, so I married the historian. So that took care of number five. I joined the Navy. Didn't work out. Uh, unfortunately, I was able to get out without having to do a full uh, term. And now I'm a sociologist. But I, I, I get that feeling of there's so much I could do. So many times, shows I thought this would be so much easier if I had one skill and just did that. Like if all I knew is how to fix shoes and, and be a cobbler, I would just go be a cobbler. But it's, it's, a, it's a tough decision, especially when somebody's smart and or talented. It, um, it, it's almost like the like, paradox of like choice I think I've heard about. Yeah. It's almost mm -hmm. like, it's ironic because you'd think like, you know, you hear individualized majors. Actually, I mean, this is actually kind of crazy, but I feel like this is just relevant. There's someone at NYU who majored in evil. I might've already told you guys like evil, like henchmen. Like, I don't know what jobs are open for that market of majoring in evil. <laughs> like, Dr. I don't know. Evil. That's not, I don't know if those are really like transferable <laughs> skills. Like there's not really much of like a transferability of the evil degree, but I'm bringing that to the point of like, Back then, I feel like it was pretty finite with what you could do. And now you can make up degrees as long as you can justify them. Right. And it's become like increasingly hard, especially for people our age, because mm -hmm. it's just there's so much we can do. And there's so many there's so many talents that people have. And it's almost like which direction to go. So we I definitely right. can see where you're coming from with that. Right. And then going off of that, I remember when I was a kid, like seven, seven or nine, you know, I come from immigrant camp. I'm an immigrant family. So I, my parents only told me I had three options in life. It was to be a lawyer, doctor, engineer. See, that was great because you didn't really have to think much about it. It's like, okay, these are the three things. If I don't like math, I'm not going to be an engineer. If I don't like science, I won't be a doctor. But you know, when you get to college, you're like, okay, there's 27 different types of majors. Then you have specialties in them. Then you have minors, your certificates. And you're like, okay, this is a lot harder. Well, it's a lot harder. And I think it's just how, I think you have to step back and see how fortunate you are to be in this position that you can really do something that not only makes you money, but you enjoy for the rest of your life. So I think it's, we're in a very fortunate position. And sometimes we get caught up in the day-to-day. -day. Okay, so that's an interesting way of looking at college is that it's a fortunate position. It's, a, it's almost like a four-year pause on living for you to go have fun, 
and figure out how you fit in the world and who you are. Uh, my, my wife's stepfather um, was a farmer in Iowa and he had an eighth grade education and started farming. I mean, he farmed his whole life, but like full time in ninth grade. And that's all. And that's what he did. And he just, he just farmed. He did not have the opportunity to go play and goof and, and find yourself and connect with things. Uh, so I love the idea of students taking that opportunity. And I guess that's why I say it's a success. If you think it's a success, mm-hmm. um, if you look back on your college and say, yeah, I got all out of all of it, um, that could out of it because a terrible thing happens when you graduate from college. And that's why I recommend against it for everyone. Um, and that is, you end up, yeah, it's, it's a terrible idea. So, um, actually the university offers a program for people who struggle after graduation. It's called graduate school. And then oh, hopefully yeah. that's enough to <laughs> nice. kind of rehab use and it's like a transition into the world, like a halfway house. But if you're just unable to cope with the world, uh, then you become a professor. So I'm against graduation. It is. You're absolutely right. I'm quasi in college and outside of college. It sucks to be in the real world. Mm-hmm. I get off of work at five o'clock and I'm like, I have to do groceries now. I have to go pay bills. You don't have any more me time. You're absolutely right. Stay in graduate school. Go to get a PhD. Extend it on. Don't grow up. It's not a good idea. Okay. So, you know, we've talked about the good kids, the people who know what they're doing in life. What do you think is the worst student that comes to the University of Connecticut? Describe them, who they are, what they are. So they want me to give you their name? I mean, is that what you're doing? No, 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 no name. (laughs) Ideally, if you could just name, well, I think student ID is best. If you can give us a student ID. Picture? Pick them out. Yeah, I mean, that would be best. What we're saying is like, I guess, yeah, you've mentioned how you've had students like, like show up to class, like they fell asleep in class, I feel like, or they came to class drunk or something, which I, maybe you didn't say that, but I can attest that other professors have said that. <laughs> I, have. I think at, I think at UConn, <laughs> there's a certain thing of balancing like time of your life, as you would say, YOLO, and kind of like, let's prepare for the future. So mm. how do you kind of deal with that in the sense of a professor? Cause it's like, I'm sure, I know you're getting like uh, drunk like every Friday and Saturday, but for the rest of us, we're not that best at handling and balancing that. <laughs> so how do we because we're still kind of learning about like what we can do with our time and stuff but you're full steam ahead of like you know you have a really strict schedule you have research you're trying to get done and you're kind of dealing with us like chumps of like trying to you know like get drunk and stuff so that's a lot but like where do you th- what are your thoughts on that so speaking of students getting drunk and in being class I had a <laughs> small class of about 20 30 kids this is some number of years ago and uh there were three women and they're very conscientious, studious, high achieving uh, students. But one of them turned 21 and my class was in the afternoon. So they went out for lunch when she turned 21 and they had just too much to drink. They came into class 15 minutes late, started talking, started like acting inappropriately. And then they realized what they're doing. So they just left. And I got this profuse apology afterward. And it was just the funniest thing. I, it, it, it really made me laugh. Um, let me change the question a little bit from worst kind of student to, to what are the things that worry me when I see them in students? Uh, one is when students are at college and they're so busy with that. Let's see. I worry about athletes sometimes because they're so busy 
at a D1 school being athletes that I worry that they're not going to be able to do other things that are part of the college experience. I also worry about the students who disengage, and that's usually alcohol or drugs, uh, because that can set a really painful tone, uh, tone for the rest of their life. So if college is the red cup era of your life and you get out of it, the red plastic cup era and ping pong ball and you move on, then maybe it's under the heading of stories, but like not everyone does. I am someone I'm reasonably close to, or at least was, is in his fifties now. And he is, he never got out of that lifestyle and it's just been a terrible thing for him. So I guess I guess the, the commonality of those is that they're both not engaging the, the full college experience, although for different reasons. But then on the flip side, you have the argument that, you know, you don't want to be in the library 24-7. You don't want to burn yourself out. Yep. You don't want to be antisocial. How do you find this moderation? Or, or is, there, is there an ideal balance? What do you think in your experience? Maybe to like further like refine it too, it's like, there's a lot that we can do right now to enjoy the present moment. I don't know why I'm so fixated on drinking. I could be drunk right now because that'd be awesome. And I could be doing whatever. And I could be doing things that are surely fixed on these four years and screw the rest of my life. Or I could be, as Rose said, like I could be in the library. Because theoretically, like if I'm just doing all the studying and planning, I could be getting ready for my future. So as a professor who's, you know, works with a lot of students, especially closely, you know them pretty well. Um, how would you say is a good way to balance that of not only enjoying your four years here, but also making the most of it so you can be ready for the rest of your life? So this is implicit in what you're saying, but, but balance or success with this, it looks different for different people. So if you want to be a, if your dream is to become a rock star doctor, yeah, you probably spend a lot of time in the library. Um, but I would say that the, the key is uh, experimentation. Um, every a cool thing about being an undergrad is that you get a, a reset like se seven times yeah you have your first semester and then you can reset it and your classes change and people around you change and you can change you have different roommates really so i would say experimentation try different things no one gets it right the first time add some things subtract some things um i know young men who have gone off to college and they just started off with way too much social stuff and they had to you know, kind of throttle back and remember to do their work. I know people who've done the reverse, who just want to do work and then had to realize how oh, open things up. So I guess experimentation. And another thing is um, what I've heard referred to as small bets. You don't have to fully engage all activities and sign up for the club to be a lifelong member. You can go just visit it. Uh, you can try something. Um, if you think you want to try playing soccer during college, but you're not good enough to be on the varsity team, well, try one intramural um, team and see how it goes for you. Or maybe even try one game for an intramural team and see what you think. So I guess a lot of experimentation and lots of uh, kind of low cost experimentation, just see what, if you like it. Because the principle behind that is it's really hard to, know, to predict ahead of time what you'll like and what you don't like. So go try it. And I think this goes back to your idea of that to create your own identity, to understand who you are, you need to experiment. You need to get, you need to eliminate stuff that you don't like. And I guess college does provide you with a big safety net that, you know, if you do mess up, you can still go back to your dorm, have lunch, have a meal and just restart tomorrow. Yeah. But, but yet again, I'll play devil, I'll play devil's advocate here. 
why the hell should I care about purpose when I'm in college? I'm only 18 years old. I, why should I care? What's, what's, it, what's it for me? I guess I would reframe that and say, if you don't care about purpose, that, that's fine. If you do care about purpose, then here's some things to do. So I tend not to think in terms of needing to motivate students for it. Rather, if they are motivated, help them to figure it out. Because doesn't that sound like an old guy thing? Like, hey, you kids, get off my yard. Hey, you kids, find your purpose, right? Like, if you're not ready to find purpose, you're not ready to find purpose. It can't be done for you. But if you are, well, there's things you can do. I mean, some people might need to just play and goof and all. I, that's really interesting. I think it's been told to us for a while, but just from a definition of success, it's so like cliche and trite. I just learned what trite is, so I'm going to start using that. It's very trite to say that. Um, <laughs> it's very trite to say that uh, success is of your own definition, but I think in college it's so true. Like, because when I, um, I think, you know, I would hope to say I was successful in college. And I think if we just measure up objectively, there's people who my friend made a Ted talk that I didn't, I wasn't part of Ted talk. I think we see our good friend, Irene, who's also part of the purpose class. She's like a political activist while at the same time I'm playing like, um, NBA video games. So, you know, it's really an apples and oranges situation, but I say that to the point of my goal going into college and my, um, my, my, the goal that my parents helped me foster was that just get a degree and in the in-between let's just start playing with stuff. Like I was really lucky to um, do hall association my freshman year and like be president of that and learn a lot of like what the intricacies of hall association was like. I was a resident assistant. Um, I was in the choir and we went to um, Italy and Austria. And these are just like kind of one-time things. Like I'm not in the hall association anymore. That was a one-year thing. All right, cool. I like that. Maybe I don't. Where do I go from there? I'm, I'm a peer mentor now. I get to help people who I get to like give back some of the study strategies and some of the tips that I've learned. And I've been really fortunate to get at UConn. And I say that all to the point of I'm leaving now with maybe not as much, and you'll like this doctor, because you say this a lot, but not as much depth, but a lot of breadth. And I know where to go from there. Like I know which points, like I tried 70 things and I know five things I really like. So when I get scared, cause I don't want to go into the real world and I come back for grad school, I know what I'm going to study. So I think that's just really interesting because like I said, in a vacuum, it's just like, well, I did a whole lot of nothing, but also maybe I did everything I could. And now I know really what I want to do instead of being forced to peg myself into a hole and being like, I have to do this. Cause I think, um, and this is just me. Cause I think we, I know so many passionate people. It's almost like overwhelming to uh, not know what you want to do and not kind of be straight straight on the path of like success so i think it's like almost intimidating to be like i'm gonna try this like it might not go well like doing this right now like we're we're gonna try this see what happens so um you know i guess uh, all that to be said of just like success is to every person's own definition and i think if anything in college that's a huge takeaway but you know something that i would if i was the dean of uconn i think what you have to get rid of is that this idea of that to be successful you need to do a lot of check marks. You need to do this, 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 this. Is that, you know, a lot of people will go into college being like, I need to fill out my resume. I need to be really competitive. If I'm not on this club, this club, this club, this club, this club, this club, this club I'm, I'm worthless. And you know, you start to talk to these kids, I'm one of them. I love to fill out my resume. I'm just one of those people. But when you talk to them and explain it to them, why are you doing this? It, they, they have no passion in the subject of itself. It's more of like, mm, it looks good on resume. And, and I'll be the first one to say, why did I join Dr. Wright's Purpose? 
purpose group because I read that law schools love people who do research. It's such a Shiro's move, right? So I BS'd everything and I was like, I don't really care about like, per, let, let me, let me rephrase. Purpose is dear to me. I think everyone needs it. It's important in life. But did I sign up for the group aiming forward to spread world peace? No, it was more of, okay, Shiro's going to put this on his resume. Then he's going to show Harvard law. Wow. This kid did this. That's it. That was the objective totally wrong i i'm the first one to admit that was so selfish but again i think more, a lot of people do that and i wish you could tell those people like okay listen not feeling the chat mark let's let's calm down so i'm i'm a victim of that and not a victim i did it to myself when i talked about it but yeah so that that actually uh, closes the loop for me because the first day that we met so it's february 2021 <clears throat> our first meeting was in late january 2020 we all piled into this room. We went around and I said, well, why are you here? Something. And, and you said something like, well, I don't really believe in purpose. It's all this and that. And I'm like, and my thought is, well, why did you sign up for the group? I think this is optional. I, I was surprised you're in the group, but that's fine. Yeah, we'll go with it. Uh, you picked them. Yeah. And uh, the, contra the contrarianness that you brought to the group has always been wonderful. Uh, let me pick up something you said, Anthony. Um, <laughs> Wait, Dr. Wright, take a look at that. <laughs> this is, you know where I got that from? Why I joined us? Because it is a book. <laughs> I love Read it. Read his lips, Dr. Wright. It was, it's all over. It's all for The him. law school, the, let me, for people who aren't, uh, obviously, people who can't review this, the book is titled The Law School Admission Game, Play Like an Ex Expert. And one of the chapters is focusing on extracurricular research and, well, this is it. That's how I got into the purpose group. I love it. Not a good Samaritan. I will be the first one to admit it. So I want to pick up something you said, Anthony, about um, being uncomfortable not knowing what you're doing. I would say that's a crucial skill. And uh, as academics, we get we get brownie points when we make up names. So what would we call it? Um, lost tolerance, um, confusion tolerance. Uh, being comfortable with being uncomfortable, essentially. Yeah, but it's. I mean, it's more narrow than that. Like being uncomfortable when you're being comfortable with being uncomfortable could talk about public speaking or it could be talk about, you know, running a marathon or something. So being okay, not knowing where you're going seems to be, and yet still acting, not being paralyzed by a lack of direction. How's that? I think that's a, a wonderful skill. And that's where small bets come in. It's like, you don't know what you're doing. That's fine. Don't stress it. Just try a bunch of things. Like, uh, you know, treat opportunities as uh, a buffet or a smorgasbord and just sample a lot. And then if you like something, go get more of it. And this fits into what something you said, Shiroz, in terms of college being like a safety net. I love that image. This is the time to play around. Or maybe you said it, Anthony, in that if it fails, um, if, it if something doesn't work out, it's not that big a deal. The stakes get to be greater later on in life. If you buy a house that doesn't work out, well, that could cost you some money. If you marry someone that doesn't work out, that could be a problem. If you um, take a job and it doesn't work out, then there's some cost to getting a different job. So, um, yeah, I, I think being uncomfortable, being comfortable with not knowing, with not having a sense of direction in life and still being able to act constructively and finding it is a, is a crucial skill.
Okay, so this is what we have right now. We have Aristotle, Socrates, then Dr. Wright falling in a close third. Preaching at the <laughs> highest level. <over> here. <laughs> giving wait, wait, wait. advice. Giving Professor life Wright. Advice. Oh, Professor well, Everyone else on that list could save a life as ne if necessary. Dr. Wright, <laughs> Professor Wright. <laughs> but remember, mentality is important, though. So, you know, let's, let's just shake it up. We've been going on for a good 20 minutes on this deep subject. And also, let's have fun a little bit. Dr. Wright, how would you describe yourself as a professor? Do you think you're a good professor? Terrible professor? What do you think? Well, I would say I'm a professor in process in, in uh, trying to become a better professor. I started, oh, you guys would laugh so hard. 21 years ago, when I, 22 years ago when I showed up at UConn, I was the worst, literally the worst professor in the department. I would show up in a sports coat and dress shoes and uh, sometimes a tie. And I, um, my mentality was all that matters is research teaching is an annoyance. It's a speed bump to get out of the way. So I put as little energy into it as possible. Okay. This, this is one of the things I did. I would make up three by five cards of all the students' names and I'd randomly pick them and quiz them in the middle of the class. Wow. <laughs> they hated it. They okay, hated so. it. And so um, after two, three years, I took just a purely instrumental approach uh, to teaching of like, I just want to get it done so I can focus on the good stuff. I was demoralized. My students were demoralized. My department head was pissed. I'm like, okay, I've got to take this seriously. Those and SCT so, surveys were coming for your head. Yeah, Those exactly. Surveys, yeah, they, yeah uh, teaching my uh, student evaluations were, were not a fun time to receive. So I just started working on it to become better. And I, uh, for a couple of years after every single class, I handed out a survey saying, what worked well, what could be improved, any other comments? I did that every single class for years wow. and I'll still do it sometimes. Um, so I would say I'm a professor in process. I don't think in terms of where I am. I think of where I am relative to where I used to be, but not where I am relative to others. So I just last uh, three, two days ago, had a hour long conversation with my TAs for the large class I'm teaching about, could we completely reformat the class for next semester to get more engagement? Wow, now, amazing. I've that's taught this class a bunch. I get sky high evals, but that, that's not the point. It's about, it's about mastery. It's about improvement. It's about engagement. Growth mindset. Okay, so, absolutely. So that's wonderful that you actually want to help students out, especially during a pandemic, especially with online classes. So what me and Anthony have prepared for you is, have you heard of Rate My Professor? Yeah. So we pulled up some of your reviews. <laughs> You're what done. Have you... We're gonna have you review. We're gonna have you read them out loud, and I just want to, you know, just see what you think about them. Okay. And I would say, just before we begin this, that you're a wonderful professor. You had 50 ratings on there. Almost everyone gave you full stars. So what you are saying matches up with reality. You're not just making this up to make yourself look good. So, I'm just share my screen, and then we'll get started. This is so fast. It's like um, like t like on late night shows where they have people read tweets, mean tweets. Yep. yep. That's yes. So, okay. My professor. This is hilarious. Perfect. All right. So if you want to go read the first one, and I just want to hear your take on it. Um, professor Wright speaks pretty well for somebody with such bad hair. Nice try. Okay. So I think that's kind of a harsh <laughs> comment. <laughs> it's not there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's not there. Uh, 
despite how much he mumbles, how can somebody mumble in a monotone for so long? You would think there'd at least be some tonal variation. Okay, I think that's a, a reasonable critique. I agree. I agree, but okay. If you really want to hear a harsh one, Dr. Wright, which I think you're itching for now. <laughs> Light him up. Light him up. Light He's got an answer. You're asking for it. You're asking for it now. Yeah. Oh, that's there's some truth to that. This is from 10 years ago. Um, oh, you know it. it? Oh, yeah, no, I've, I've seen the site before. Um, no, could you read it? Because our Sociology of Religion, extremely difficult class, and he was so disorganized. His study guides are useless. He didn't know how to teach this course. Very tough grader. He was useless during his office hours. He won't answer you, any of your questions. Quite frankly, he's quite full of himself. Much more concerned with his research than teaching the class and this showed. Yeah. Wow, finally people are being honest and reading my professor. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably 15 years ago. Uh, it was a while ago. Uh, that was the I, I know what students don't realize is when they post this, you always know who the student is because there's usually some autobiographical elements. Like, hey, I remember that kid. Um, it, and so it's both who I was as a teacher and my fit with that student. Um, that student was looking for something that I don't offer, I, I didn't offer in the class. And he was frustrated when I wouldn't help him, like, steer him into a better grade without working hard. Having said that, uh, it was difficult. Uh, I probably was less, uh, certainly less organized than I could have been. Um, so I'd say it's overall good, uh, a reasonable comment. Again, there's this progress. So at least you took this advice and acted on it. You know, some people would say it's not my fault. Oh, the college is hard. You're supposed to do the work. I'm just here to teach. That's it. I applaud you for that. I'm sure That's you know thing. them. Yeah, there's certainly professors like that. It's actually almost ridiculous. So, so I, I heard a saying years ago where it said, um, if one person says you're a horse, they're delusional. If two people say you're a horse, it's a conspiracy. If five people say you're a horse, go buy a saddle. And so when I collect um, these comments, I look for themes. Now, the one that we just read is a little bit harsh. I don't get a lot like that, and I didn't even yeah. then. Yeah. But if you hear something from more than about 10% of the people, it's not just a personal thing. It's something that can be, be, be done better. Right. So, okay. So let's move up. I think let's try this one now. Much, much better. It looks like you put some improvement in when you, when you, for this class now. Let's hear it. Um, so I'll read one part of it. I'm not comfortable reading the others. Um, <laughs> he's the dad you always wanted. Okay. When I saw this, I was so happy. Um, and about s s somewhere about maybe five, 10 years ago, I started getting dad comments in my um, evals. And this, th this talks about, it. it's like, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, I don't know if I want the dad bod, but the dad jokes, I'm totally down for. Um, and that way of relating of, you know, I'm here to guide the, the, the concept of a dad or a mom is, is wonderful because as wonderful connotations, you, you love people, you support them, you put their interests first, you guide them, you have wisdom. Um, other than the I give them money part of being a dad, which I did with my own kids, um, I really like the idea of that. I mean, honestly, let's think about it, though. A dad and a college prefer, except the money part, they kind of both have the same role. You're, they're developing and nurturing kids, you know, in different respects, more, more so. But, you know, the dad that everyone wanted. Is that your Do identity you now, Dr. Wright? <laughs> Well, I don't know that everybody, everybody wants it, but uh, I, I, I'm comfortable with there being a, a dad vibe to, to my teaching. 
And also in place relating. So everybody has a different style of teaching. Every professor does. And different things work for different people. I like to connect with the students. And so there's more to the relationship than just um, I'm the, what the sage on the stage, I've heard it called. Uh, I want to be able to connect with them. And so the dad kind of gets at that. I just have a quick question. Do people, do you like, do professors read the comments? They're like, oh, look at this. Like, do you guys like come together and like have a little like talk about like, oh, like there's like, there's Sheroes commenting again. Like, like, is this like, is it just kind of like a you thing or is this like professors? Because I think in my mind, it's actually kind of nice to hear you say that you read it just from a one, a like you're taking feedback, but also like if you, if you see the funny ones, because it seems almost like a deposit that we go to check and see what professors we want to take. Like if we see someone as a 1.9, oh, yeah. although it's almost biased because it's of course the people who probably didn't try as much. So it's like kind of have to take it with a grain of salt, but do professors generally check that? Is that like a widely? I would say so. Yeah. Um, so we get evals when we collect them at the end of the semester and those are anonymous, uh, those are anonymous and we're the only ones who can see them. And then right, my professor collects them publicly. When I, where I went to grad school, University of Wisconsin, they published the numerical ratings, not the qualitative um, text comments, but the numerical ratings for faculty. And I like that because my thought is that you're our consumers, uh, you're our customers. You should be able to make informed choices. So if one professor gets a five out of five and another professor gets a three out of five, you should know that. Um, having said that, there are some concerns with my professor. Um, I, I know one professor who was very engaging, but also very challenging. And if a student didn't do the work, they um, wouldn't get a good grade. And this professor had multiple students write vicious things about her on Rate My Professor. In fact, Rate My Professor pulled some of them off because they involved swearing. And this person's like an incredibly nice person. I've seen them teach. Um, so there are some problems with it, but overall, I, I like the idea of transparency. If it were up to me, all comments would be, all student evaluations would be public. So what do you say about the teachers that are, I mean, I may be biased here because I'm a student, but I've seen it happen to multiple people. But some people, some professors are taking advantage of online courses, that they're putting in barely any effort, that they'll assign three page, three chapters of reading and say, you know what? read this, blah, blah, blah. And at, at this point, you have to understand, kids are paying a lot of money to go to the University of Connecticut. It's a good school. But as a professor, how do you see your colleagues like that? Do you, do you think people should start calling them out? Because, you know, as, as students, we don't have much say. But, you know, I feel like if professors started getting together. That's an interesting point. And I'm going to, I'm going to pick up on a, a minor note of what you said. Now, the students don't have much say. Do you know what would be cool would be is if students did have a say? What would be a way that students could identify the professors they think are just mailing it in? Now, I say that as somebody who mailed it in the first couple of years of my um, career. And so, I mean, I'm pointing to myself as well as others. And part of what got me to turn around was the terrible student evaluations I got. Wouldn't it be great if the, well, I don't know if this would work. Okay, shaming is a very powerful way of changing behavior. Um, what if students each year, the student, like the student body, or I don't know, some group uh, did a survey and identified the, f uh, the five least engaged professors or something like that. 
Now, that could go sideways in so many different ways. I don't know if that's a good idea, but there might be something there of adding some transparency. I'll I'll tell you one thing that pisses me off that that we professors do. We say we are these godlike evaluators of students where we give them accurate evaluations of who they are. But when they evaluate us, we say, oh, it's biased. They don't know what they're doing. And we just dismiss it. So any professor who gets high evals says, um, I'm a good teacher. Any professor who gets low evals said, uh, the students are biased. Uh, the students are uh, not paying attention. This isn't meaningful. There's no validity to it. Um, it kind of goes so the other way to with students. That. It goes yeah, the other I'm, way with students of like, if we do bad, it's their, totally their fault. So, Okay, so maybe it's, uh, it goes both ways. I think it's an ego. It's an ego issue. You're, it's yeah. just, I know it's, you're, you'll never blame yourself for your failures. It's always, it's their fault. You know, I got a bad grade on this test. No, a teacher didn't teach. I did. In the reality, you could have a hardworking teacher who has office hours every single day available on email, but the student won't read a chapter. They won't go home and study. So again, transparency is important, but also you need to be objective, you know, reality, but. Yeah, and, and that's where it gets tricky with the transparency issue because if a student gives a professor a bad evaluation, is it because of the professor or because of the student? Having said that, looking, um, looking through, it's been a while since I've done this, but at one point I looked through a number of the ratings of professors I knew and I'd actually knew something about their teaching. I would say if you, if you took Rate My Professor and divided it up in thirds, high, middle, low, it's reasonably accurate. Now, is a is a 2.5 different than a 2.2? I would say no. But in general, if you get really high there, it's probably right. If you get really low, it's probably right. But this could all, because mine are high um, on that, so this, this could all be self-justification. So I don't know. You know, I think there's a conversation to be had about this subject. Many yes. solutions, but there's a conversation. I think it's something that we bury for a long time. And, and again, it goes to your point of saying that professors think of themselves as, these godlike people, students are just, you know, these drunk little kids who don't didn't know anything. That, you know, like they're drunk, they just don't know anything. So, but I think you've, you've been, Professor, you've been wonderful with your time. I know we won't take up more of it. I, I so, just have one more quick one, Sharos. So um, on the, like the note of just being godlike figures, I would say you're just below that, but you know, you're still in that upper echelon. For... For being like professors, I think it does carry that connotation of just, there's a certainly a dynamic, you know, a power dynamic of you give the grades, we want the grades, how can we make this sort of thing happen? Um, but when you get to be a part of like small research groups and really get to know the professor, such as when they have to pay like a thousand dollar car total or when they have certain things going on, and you get to know them as certain people, I remember that. You, you really understand that they're just like, you know, they're just, older people and that they're they're still <laughs> they're just old. <laughs> old just old people man they're just old people they're still awful but they're just old um but more i guess what i'm trying to say is that like being a part of your research lab it just like continue over my eyes that there's so many great professors at uconn and ones that want to interact with students so what do you think is the like how do you feel about like research labs obviously you're running one i'm a part of it and like the importance of them as part of the undergrad experience on the topic of like trying new things, getting involved, like how, like what are your just general thoughts on that? Well, that's the problem with being a big state school is that the faculty are way outnumbered 
and our incentives are not aligned with teaching. So my job is officially only one third teaching. It's one half research and one whatever's left. Uh, it's I think Rackham. half research, 30% teaching and 20% service. <clears throat> so for me, I've tried to integrate working with students and my research and that works really well. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not super interested in doing free, free teaching where I just sit and like lead seminars for the students sake. Um, I mean, I kind of wish I were, but I'm not. I know professors who are and, and good for them. But if we can revolve around research, then it becomes teaching and research. And I don't even know where the, I'm not sure whether we have a research group or a teaching class. Um, I just know how, how much I like it. Uh, so the, the best experience at a state school, uh, like a D, uh, an R1 um, university is if you can get into research, because then you, then you, you go from learning knowledge to creating knowledge. And it's, it, you, you go from a wine taster to a wine maker and they're different, they're different skills and different experiences. So that's the best outcome. Having said that's not for everybody. Uh, when I send out my emails, I only, they only go to people who have like a three, seven or a three, eight or above. Um, you gotta, you gotta bump that up. You gotta bump that score up. That's rookie <laughs> yeah, numbers. Rookie numbers. like a, Shiroz would have like a three, nine, five cutthroat. I'd be out of there. Cut yeah. Throat. Three, eight, five. Us chumps. But, us play, but us for some students, it's not the right experience. And, um, but if it is the right experience for a student, that's great. So I'm actually the director of undergraduate studies for the Department of Sociology. And that's one of the things we're trying to do is figure out how to get more students into more research projects with more professors. Absolutely. Okay, so qu quickly, it's Saturday. We, you have stuff to do. You're an important guy. I, three pieces of advice you would give to college students. Quickly. Oh my gosh. Lightning Just, round. Lightning round. Whatever comes to your head, don't think about it. Whatever comes to your head. He's thinking about it. Well, I have to think about it because um, I don't want to say something that people would find offensive. And that's my worry if I just shoot from the hip. Apologies, so I would, he's a professor. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't uh, want to lose his tenure. Well, and this is being recorded. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's part of what's going on here. Um, I would say we've already talked about uh, so get think in terms of getting a lot of experiences. Um, make sure to travel. Do a study abroad for do a, a semester for study abroad once the pandemic's over, because uh, you learn things that you could never learn otherwise. And then lastly, figure out how to connect with a professor that you like. How's That's that? Wonderful. And Dr. Wright, that is wonderful advice. We've had a wonderful conversation this afternoon. We're really glad that you are on our show and you can share your insight with us. Really, really thankful. Really, really, really glad to have you on. Thank you very much. Before we slam the door behind you, you obviously like a lot of stuff and you're doing a lot of research. Just like what's the like frontier of like what, what, what else is on your agenda of just like wanting to research all you kind of think it's obviously super cool as a professor. You get not only access to teaching people what you know, but also creating knowledge with your students, like you were saying. So what do you think if you're just spitballing? What do you think would be on the agenda? Oh, so next? so poor Shiro's tried to close this conversation. Anthony, you just opened <laughs> it wide open. We might just be getting going. Um, this is something I think about a ton. So there's no spitballing here. I um,
Uh, see, I'm trying to think of how do I make this a minute answer instead of an hour answer? Because um, as time as you want <laughs> that you have. I, I freaking love research. I just, this is, I mean, honestly, okay, I was thinking about it this morning. I listened to a podcast when I, on my way to shopping and it said, um, it said something like, um, do what you, it's like a do what you love. And then another podcast said, uh, they're the quote of the days. I don't know if you come across that podcast, but they're like a 10 minute clip from somebody who's pretty smart about how the world works. And one of them was a uh, guy said, you can fail at what you don't love. So you might as well just do what you love. And he said that uh, often practicality is just fear in disguise. And uh, so I was thinking, well, what do I most enjoy about my job? And it's like, I love the research. I love creating knowledge. And I love creating knowledge with other people who are into it and who are smart. And that means my colleagues. That also means students. So I spent a lot of time thinking about what does that look like? Um, Coming up, there's a couple things I want to pair in the coming years. One is an academic audience and a public audience. Usually academics, we write our stuff only for each other and we put it in libraries and reserves that nobody's ever heard of. And then it's people who are not academics who talk to the world about the stuff we study. I wanna do both and I wanna figure out how to do both. So as you know, I started my own podcast um, last year and, and that's to get at this. Another distinction I want to bring up is creating ideas and then testing ideas together. What's the best way to create ideas? What's the best way to test them? For testing, that's probably randomized control trials. For creating, I'm moving towards qualitative research because when you talk with people, it's a great way of creating information. Um, I had a chance, uh, Rami Seti, I think is his name, uh, pod podcaster, business guy at Silicon Valley, who's really smart. He very kindly spoke to me for 15, 20 minutes by phone about some stuff several years ago. And he said something that just rocked my world. He said, testing interventions is a science. Creating interventions is an art. And I was like, oh my goodness. I just felt like a trap door like opened up beneath me. And I've been falling ever since. So how do I make a science out of the art of creating interventions so that I can artfully test them? Yeah, see, I threw a little loop in there. Um, wow. So what is the best way to create interventions that help people, that give us knowledge? Because once they're created, then we know how to test them. You know, testing that's randomized controlled trial, double blind study, uh, treatment group, control group. But what's the best way to create interventions, things that make a difference in people's lives, things that change people's lives so that we learn from the results? So I guess those are the two things I'm really focused on is uh, academic and public and then create theory and test theory. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that I think that answers it. Um, <laughs> but Saroz, um, before I shut the door on you, do you want to ask anything? No, I just want to let uh, our viewers know that Dr. Wright has his own podcast where he talks about serious stuff, much more serious, much more above <laughs> our level. You know, we joke around here, but again, his podcast is much more in depth and I suggest everyone check it out. And he also has a class on UConn and I think he's building a research research center on campus. So please check that out, support him. School of Purpose great is guy. the podcast, School of Purpose. School of Purpose, great guy. I've had the honor of knowing him for the past year. He's a, I, yeah, so wonderful guy. Please check him out. Anthony, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I'm still forming my opinion on him, but I've had fun today. Um, thank you. Yeah, he's all right. He's all right. Thanks for hopping on, Dr. Wright. We had a great time. Thank you. Um, thank you. Dr. Wright, sociologist at the University of Connecticut. Thank you. Bye, thank Dr. Wright. Thank you so Wright. much.
Bye-bye.